podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast. Today is Friday the 15th of December and I hope you're all well. And we've got a long one today, so we're going to jump straight in. The group stage of the Europa League and Europa Conference League has been complete. Last night, West Ham United confirmed their place as top of Group A with a 2-0 win over Freiburg, Mohamed Kudus and Edson Alvarez with the goals. So West Ham threw... Freiburg go into the knockout playoff round to play one of the teams dropping in from the Champions League. And Olympiacos will take up the Europa Conference League spot after a 5-2 win over back at Topolo last night. Uh, in Group B, another English club claimed top spot. Brighton and Hove Albion won. Marseille nil. João Pedro with an 88-minute goal. 
So Brighton go through. Marseille will await one of the teams dropping in from the Champions League. And Ajax, with a 3-1 win over AEK Athens, managed to scrape their way into the Europa Conference League and extend their European adventure for this year. In Group C, another British club finished top with Rangers coming from behind. No, no. Going ahead, being pegged back, going ahead again, been pegged back again, and then scoring a late winner to give them a win away to Real Betis. They came from behind in terms of points because at 2-2, they were going out. They were going into the Europa Conference League. Sparta Prague beat Aris Limassol 3-1 to move themselves to 10 points. Real Betis, with the point, were going to be on 10 points, and Rangers were going to end up with 9 points and a trip to the Conference League. Instead, a winner by Khmer Roof gives them the win and sends them through as group winners. Sparta will play one of the Champions League teams, and Real Betis drop into the Conference League. In Group D, Atalanta 4, Rakow 0. Sporting 3, Sturmgratz 0. Victor Jokerez and Goncalo Inasio with the goals for Sporting. Atalanta through as group winners. Sporting 2nd. They'll play a Champions League team. And then Sturmgratz will take up the spot in the Europa Conference League. In Group E, Liverpool lost 2-1 away to Union St. Gilloir, but made absolutely no difference. They had topped the group before a ball was kicked. Union did everything they could to try and earn themselves a spot in the knockouts, but it wasn't to be. They end up finishing third because Toulouse went to Lask and with a late goal from Suazo got a 2-1 win. So Liverpool threw Union into the knockout. Sorry, Toulouse into the knockout and Union dropping into the Conference League. In Group F, we had Drama in France. Rennes to Villarreal 3. Villarreal went 1 up. Then they went 2 up. Then Rennes got... No, then, sorry. They went 1 up. Then it was 1 all. Then they went 2 1 up. Then it was 2 all. Then Parejo scored and made it 3 2 to Villarreal. And then. With practically the last kick of the ball, Ren thought they equalised, only for the goal to be ruled out. And at first you look at it and you think, that's mad. Why has that been ruled out? There's no foul. There's no offside. There's no infringements of any sort, it would seem. You're not helped by the fact that the commentators are prattling on about offsides because the referee is signalling for an indirect free kick. What actually caused the goal to be disallowed is that Enzo Lafie takes the free kick, hits the post, the ball comes back out, and the first person to touch the ball is Enzo Lafie. And in the rules of the game, if a player takes a set piece, they cannot be the next person to touch the ball. If the ball had even deflected off a Villarreal defender before getting to Fee, it would have been perfectly fine. Fi- uh, it would have been perfectly fine. But you cannot take a set piece 
and then have the immediate next touch of any player on the pitch. So the goal was rightly ruled out. It's actually a great spot by the VAR. It's a tremendous bit of officiating. The commentators made a mess of it because they didn't know the rule. In the other game, Maccabee Haifa went to Panikonithos and won 2-1. And that means that Maccabee will take third spot, go into the Conference League. Panikonithos are out. Ren will go into the knockout round and Villarreal are through to the round of 16. Group G, Roma beat Sheriff Tiraspol 3-0, Lukaku, Belotti and Basili with the goals, and Slavia Prague beat Servette 4-0. So Slavia are through, top of the group. So both Prague teams get out of their groups, fair play. Roma second, they will play in the knockout round. Servette will drop into the Conference League and Sheriff Tiraspol are out. Finally then, Group H, Bayer Leverkusen 5, Molde 1. Leverkusen had nothing to play for but decided to wipe the floor with Molde anyway. Schick, Topsoppa, an own goal by Ellingson and two for Adam Hlozik. Gave them a very comfortable win. Molde did pull one back through Kitalano. Quarabeg beat Hacken 2-1. Uh, Andrade and Benzia before halftime put them 2-0 up. Hacking got a late consolation through an own goal, but it wasn't to be. So Leverkusen are through. Quarabeg will play in the knockout round. Molde will go into the Conference League and Hacken are eliminated. So on to our Conference League. Uh, da, 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 da. Lille beat my Faro friends 3-0 with three penalties. Slovan Bratislava lost to Olympia Ljubljana which was a big surprise. But Lille are through as group winners. Slovan finished second. They go into the knockout round to play one of the teams dropping in from the Europa League. Lublana and the Faroes are out. Uh, Maccabee Tel Aviv beat Ghent 3-1 last night in a bit of a shock. Uh, Zorya Lahansk 4, Briar Black 0 in the other game. Maccabee topped the group. Ghent will play in the knockout. Zorya finished third, but go out and Briar Black go out. Group C, Victoria Plison 3, Astana 0, and Dinamo Zagreb 3, Balkani 0. So Victoria through, perfect record, six wins from six. Dinamo finish second, they'll go into the knockout round, and then Astana and Balkani go out. In Group D, Club Bruges beat Bodo Glimt 3-1, and Besiktas finally woke up and beat Lugano 2-0 to actually lift themselves off the bottom of the group. Uh, Bruges go through, Bodo will play in the knockout. Besiktas and Lugano are eliminated. Leji Warsaw 2, A's at Alkmaar 0. Good win for Leji. It puts them through. Uh, Mostar 1, Aston Villa 1. Villa top the group. Leji is second into the knockout round. AZ and Zorinski Mostar are out. Group F, Genk 2, Kukuriki 0. Ferenc Varos won, Fiorentina won. That was the result I expected. That's the result we got. Fiorentina go through as group winners. Ferenc Varos into the knockout. Genk and Kukuriki are both eliminated. TAOK 4, HJK Helsinki 2. Aberdeen 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 0. A game that meant nothing, but a great win for Aberdeen against a team that, you know, 
very recently won a European trophy. It's a hell of an achievement. They haven't been embarrassed in the group. They've held their own. They've done as well as can be expected. It's a shame there's not another competition for them to drop into, but three European competitions is enough. PAOK go through as group winners. Eintracht second, Aberdeen third, HJK fourth. And then finally, in Group H, Ludogorets one, Nordlsjen nil, Fenerbahce four, Spartak Ternava nil. Fenerbahce topped the group, Ludogorets finished second, Nordlsjen go out, despite the fact that they beat the two teams that finished above them, 6-1 and 7-1 respectively. That's a shocker. It's an absolute shocker. The draw at home to Spartak Ternava completely, completely ruined their group stage. Otherwise, they would have topped the group because they had the better goal difference and the better head-to-head record. Instead, they go out. Tough. <laughs> Tough, basically. Shouldn't be dropping points at home to Spartak Ternava, who are dreadful. Um, so we should have we should have pretty decent uh competition in the knockout phases. The draw for the knockout round will be the eighteenth of December. Those games we played the fifteenth and twenty second of February, and then um, then the last sixteen will kick off in March. So if you're in the last sixteen of the Europa League or the Europa Conference League, you now get an extended break in Europe, which is a big factor for a lot of clubs, especially say Liverpool and Villa, who are competing at the top of the Premier League. They can now park their European missions um, for a number of months. Brighton, who are wrecked with injuries and stuff at the moment, can now park Europe for a while and just focus in on the league. Good to see as many English clubs as there is getting through. Um, Liverpool, West Ham and Brighton all topping their group in the Europa League. Villa topping it in the Conference League. And then obviously in the Champions League, Arsenal top their group, City top their group. It is only the Uniteds of Manchester and Newcastle who have failed to progress, both finishing bottom of their group. So their European journeys are over. No shame on Newcastle, but United should be a little bit embarrassed about how it all worked out. We'll do the gossip and we'll go to break. Paris Saint-Germain are interested in a move for Casemiro. No, they're not. Manchester United are struggling to find a buyer for Jaden Sancho with his reported £350,000 a week wages believed to be putting off other teams. It's not a surprise. Newcastle are monitoring Serhu Garassi. Serhu Garassi is just an easy rumour for everybody to make up in the, over the last few weeks, isn't he? He's every day he's in this. Uh, the Saudi Pro League's director of football, Michael Imanello, believes it would be hard to convince Mohamed Salah to join the league in January. Yeah, the best of luck to you, son. Spanish former Manchester United goalkeeper David De Gea has once again fueled speculation of an imminent return to the Premier League with a cryptic social media post. Has he really? My guess is Newcastle. 
It's just the one that makes sense. It just, it makes more sense to me than anything else because they need a goalkeeper now while Nick Pope is out. And I feel like David De Gea just slots into that team quite well. Villarreal are interested in Cedric Soares. I'd imagine they'd want him on a free. Manchester United will consider sales in January if any deal helps ease their financial fair play concerns and does not unduly weaken Eric Ten Hag's squad. I think you could sell pretty much anybody and it wouldn't really weaken the squad. Ange Postacoglu wants to sign a centre-back for Spurs in January. That makes a lot of sense. The fitness and form of Tosin Adarabayo has stirred interest ahead of the January transfer window. He's at a contract next summer. I, I think they should be offering him Fulham should be offering him a, a, a big new deal to keep him. <clears throat> Arsenal and Tottenham both sent scouts to watch Royal Antwerp midfielder Arthur Vermeeren play in their win over Barcelona. He is a big, big talent. RB Leipzig have again contacted Liverpool to express their desire to keep Fabio Carvalho, despite Liverpool wanting him to return from his loan due to a lack of playing time. Barcelona boss Xavi is facing heat at the new Camp after punishing back-to-back defeats with none of the club's boardroom chiefs giving their supporters money. He won the league last year. Like, has this been forgotten? Barcelona are an absolute dumpster fire of a football club. An absolute dumpster fire. And they're talking about sacking him when he overachieved massively last season. Where is the sense? He won the league last year. Ecuador's 16-year-old Henry Paez will train with Chelsea next week in the first of a number of settling-in visits. The Blues signed him from Independiente de la Valle in the summer with the agreement he will join the club on his 18th birthday. So there you go. That's all our gossip. We'll go to break when we come back. Young Drinkle will join us, so we'll see you then. Right, welcome back. As always on a Friday, we're joined by Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? Bit nippy. That's what happens nippy. when you live in the, in the Great White North. Yeah. Have you been out for a walk with the dog today? I did, I did, and he decided it was sniffing day, so every lamppost in Mask by the Sea has been sniffed. Uh, just whilst on Mask by the Sea, I forgot to ask you before, but check out my retweets, because the football club is in financial bother, so go have a look at that. Let's have a look. Guy Drinkle. It's a just giving page for people. Yeah, so this Mask United have put out a tweet with Just Giving. Um, fundraising page now live to save Mask United. They are looking to raise £120,000 to help Mask United FC continue as a football club. Uh, it's only been put live, I think, in the last day or two, hasn't it? 
Yeah, um, I think so. I'm not sure what the story is exactly, but I think it's something to do with non-league. You can't change ownership or something, or the new potential owners, something went wrong. Something that is weird. I need to read up on it, but it uh, doesn't look too pretty. So I think the last handful of games have all been postponed and stuff like that. So hopefully they can at least finish out the season. Yeah, so basically what it says here is... Um, let's see. The club provides a link with the local university and colleges to give opportunities to students to further consolidate their studies with real-time experience. See the video as part of this page produced by a student who went on to achieve a first-class honours degree. The club are continually active in the village, supporting events such as uh, Mars Christmas Parade, as well as offering the clubhouse for community groups to meet and socialise each week with over 300 people involved on a regular basis. The club have also been successful in raising funds to run holiday clubs for local children. The previous season saw us play within the Northern Premier League, Premier Division, for the first time, and the increased funds continued, and the increased funds needed to continue to operate, which include playing budget, additional travel costs, and extra stewards at games, changes of manager, and a monumental effort to retain status at that level, together with these operational costs, meant that some debt had to be carried over to this current season. With the previous chairman resigning recently, the club had hoped to move to a limited company and to open a share scheme to guarantee survival to the end of this season and beyond. It is now established that this will take between six and eight weeks, so unfortunately it is not sustainable as the club would not be able to play during that time. Therefore, all payments of share options are now being returned to supporters and investors alike. So we've estimated that we need £120,000 to survive till the end of the season, where we can once again look at a share option as a limited company to protect and develop the future of our community club. We are now hoping that the local community, businesses and general supporters would help us reach our target and get us back playing football. Thank you in anticipation for your generosity. They have thus far raised almost £15,000. Um of their 120,000 goal. So they're 13% or 12% through. This went live on the 11th. So today is the 15th, four days in. It seems to be going well, but it could definitely do it a boost. Uh, you would like to see perhaps some of the major clubs in the region, Middlesbrough, mm. you know, looking at you, Middlesbrough, potentially, um, make a significant donation to help out because local clubs are their community property. Like they belong to the village. They belong to the locality. And as listed there, Marsk United seem to do a lot for the local community. So if anyone would like to help out, if you'd like to make a donation, however big or small, uh, at Marsk United FC, M-A-R-S-K-E, United FC on Twitter, and uh, you will find that as their pinned tweet. And if you'd like to make a donation, you can. So all donations are helpful. Um, certainly we'll make a donation later in the day. Right, guy, we have a weekend of games. And before we get into the weekend of games, we're going to have ourselves a little rant here. Because as you've brought to my attention... We once again have the television companies denying us 
a more entertaining and exciting game while giving us a game that, I don't know, has 1-1 sort of written all over it, really. West Ham versus Wolves is on television. Now, just to be clear, I have nothing against both sides. They both have some very good players. West Ham are ninth and Wolves are 13th. It is a mid-table clash. At the same time, Brentford take on Aston Villa. Brentford are 11th, but Aston Villa are third and one of the most informed teams in the Premier League. As you pointed out earlier, Guy, there in the top three for form right now. Villa are a tremendous watch right now. But the game that's on, that should be on television, is Arsenal-Brighton. Second versus eighth. Two entertaining teams that want to play the right way. In, in Brighton's case, I think they play the most attractive football in the league, them and, and Spurs. But you're, you're serving us up West Ham and Wolves, both of whom have a negative goal differential 16 games into the season, both of whom are, I would say, hit and miss. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand. Like I, I understand. I know everyone has to be on TV a certain number of times, but when you look at the schedule and you see Arsenal Brighton, because remember this decision was made months ago. Surely you look at Arsenal Brighton and go, no matter what, that game's going on TV this weekend. And considering the potential impact on the game afterwards as well. Well, that's the thing. Like if Arsenal were to drop points. What a boost that would be to Liverpool, knowing that if they beat Manchester United, they'll potentially be three points clear of Arsenal when the Gunners go. You know, if Arsenal were to draw and Liverpool were to win, Liverpool would be three points clear of Arsenal ahead of next weekend's clash in Anfield. If Brighton were to win, that could vault them potentially into sixth, which puts them right back in the mix to potentially chase a Champions League spot. Certainly to get a Europa League spot again next year, but potentially they could make a push for Champions League if they get everybody back and fit. We know how good they can be. Nobody thinks West Ham are getting Champions League. Certainly nobody's looking at Wolves and thinking they're going to even be top half. It's it's just... It's very, very weird. They do this almost every weekend. There's one big questionable game. And I get that, you know, West Ham had to play Sunday because they played in the Europa League. But it doesn't mean they have to be on TV. It really doesn't mean they have to be on TV. There are much more enticing games at the same time. Of those three games, I would bet if all three were on, if you if Sky did Sky Sports 1, Sky Sports 2, Sky Sports 3, and put all three of those games on, I would bet West Ham Wolves would get the lowest viewership. Yeah. And Arsenal-Brighton would be first by a mile. But I think a lot of people would watch Brentford Villa as well. well I think Nobody next, outside uh, of West Ham. Next year they are bringing it in, aren't they, I think? They're going to try and do, yeah, they're going to try and do where they show all of the Sunday kickoffs, Sunday games. Mm. Um, and, and I would bet that there's far more interest in, like, if West Ham, they're a big club. They get, they get good crowds at their home stadium. 
But Arsenal are a much bigger club than West Ham and Villa are a much bigger club than West Ham. And I just think there's more interest in watching a Brentford and a Brighton than there is a Wolves who are at times a bit dull, you know. Anyway, we get at least this weekend we're getting a Friday night game. So I am happy about that. So let's get going. Does take away the half twelve kick on them. <laughs> um, anyway, the Friday game, uh, well tonight's game, I should say, Forest hosting Spurs. Dave, I mean, uh, Forest. What was their result last week? I completely blanked last week. Uh, they lost, didn't they? No, they drew. They drew with Wolves. They drew one one at Wolves. That's probably why I can't remember it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's a, it's a much-needed result. It's not the win I think Steve Cooper needed. Obviously, Spurs last week getting the big win over uh, Newcastle, which I think they desperately needed considering the injuries and stuff like that. Um, I think it'll be a tough game for Spurs. But again, it should be a game they are winning, especially whilst Teru's injured for... for um, for Nottingham Forest because I don't think I mean even Chris Wood's injured isn't he so the corpse of Divock Origi shouldn't really scare Romero and Davies too much no, I, suppose it's, New, it's I suppose Newcastle nearly took the lead in that game last weekend but it probably wouldn't have changed too much no I don't think it would have changed much at all um, Spurs do have still a lot of injuries per- uh, Perisic done for the season Bentoncourt out for weeks Van de Ven still a month away. Madison still a month away. Sessegnon still a month away. I don't think he's kicked the ball this season. Manor Solomon's out for another month. Eric Dyer is currently injured, but wouldn't be in the team anyway because Ange has been clear he doesn't want him. Uh, Lo Celso has a, has a knock and he's out. And Alfie Whiteman is out, but again, he's the third choice keeper, so he wouldn't be playing. Um, the only confirmed absentee for Forrest right now is Teo Awani. Right. So Wood might play. Aurier is a major doubt. Probably won't be back in time. And Murillo is a major doubt. So they'll have to hope on him. He went off in the Wolves game and I think he picked up an injury the week before as well. So he's he's been carrying something. Yeah, definitely. He's been carrying something. Look, Forrest stayed up last season because of their home form. This season, they've not been particularly good at home. They've lost four of the last five, only one point from the last 15 available. They're in a really bad spot right now. With Everton, despite the 10-point deduction, primed to overtake them. That's not good. If Everton go above you, the only teams below you are the bottom three. And it only only takes one of them to catch you, and you're done. So they need a result. Spurs had that really poor run where they lost four of five and took only one point from 15. But they trounced Newcastle last weekend. They have gotten a few of their players back. Basuma is back. Sarr is back. Romero's back. Romero may be a little bit fortunate not to be suspended, but he's back. I would expect Tottenham to go there and win. I think it'll be tough. It's a Friday night game. They're always a little bit different. It's under the lights. There'll be a good atmosphere at the city ground. But I'm going to back Spurs to win. I'm going to say I'm going to say Spurs beat them three one, 
And I wouldn't be surprised if there's serious conversations had about Steve Cooper over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, we've been mentioning the last couple of Fridays, haven't we? Mm. But uh, we'll probably get the odds and manager lists when, if it does actually happen. But we'll move on to the Saturday games. As I said, no half 12 kickoff. But we do start with the three o'clock kickoffs, Dave. You mentioned Aston Villa's form, and the other team in the top three of the last five games, at least, is Bournemouth, and they're hosting Luton. I mean, Bournemouth began to kind of become our team because we were sticking up for the manager on this mm. podcast. Um, but the turnaround is is sensational because I think we all expected it to improve at some point because they did have a difficult fixture list, etc. But the turnaround's been so stark. I think it's one draw in the last five and the rest of it's just been wins. And beyond that, it's probably extended even more. Um, but, yeah, he seemed to just find a, found a settled team, dealing with a few injuries, which may have helped settle the team a bit, I suppose. But since he's found this team and added a bit of rotation with the wingers, yeah, it's just been bloody excellent. It has. It's been really, really good. And you look at the table and the way they've climbed to 14th. And you look at this weekend's fixtures, and they really fall in their favour. I mean, the teams they're level on points with are Wolves, Chelsea, and Brentford. Wolves, we've mentioned, are away to West Ham. Brentford are playing Villa. The team above them is Fulham. They've got to go to Newcastle. It's not inconceivable that they could be above those three teams following this weekend because Luton at home is a favourable fixture for Bournemouth. Now, if it weren't for the fact that Chelsea were home to Sheffield United, I think I'd be looking at Bournemouth and saying, they might be 10th after the weekend because I, I would expect Fulham to lose. Brentford and Wolves, they might get a draw but I don't expect them to win their games. So I do think Bournemouth can jump the three of them, but Chelsea have maybe the easiest game in the league. So they'll likely stay ahead of them. But still, if they end the weekend in 11th, like that is, that's an incredible turnaround considering it's not very long ago we were seeing this manager being disparaged. We were hearing about talks for new managers, how they were going to move on from Irola, how could they be so stupid and get rid of Gary O'Neill for this hack. And now, like you said, they're one of the most informed teams in the league. They've taken 13 points from 15. They're scoring goals. They're not conceding many. And they look like a proper functioning unit. From the back, they've been strong. The midfield, they're holding their own, and they're incisive in the final third. Zerbani and Sanisi have settled as a pairing and look really, really good together. Mm. Kirkes has found his form. He's excellent. Lewis Cook, after the, the stupid suspension he got, he's come back in and been good. Semenyo's playing out of his skin. Tavernier's playing well. Clivert is doing bits. They're bringing Billing off the bench and he's able to affect games because he's coming on against tiring teams and with his physicality and his size, he's a menace. And Dom Solanke, who obviously is ex-Liverpool and obviously 
Liverpool sold him for pretty big money at the time. I believe it was 19 million plus add-ons, which in 2019 was big money for an unproven striker. And he really struggled when he went there first. The first season and a half, it was it was poor. But he went into the championship and he really developed his all-round game. And last season, he only scored seven goals in all competitions, only six in the Premier League. But his all-round game was good. And you could see a path for Solanke to be a very good Premier League number nine. Maybe not a very good goal scorer, but a very good number nine. You put pace and goals around him, his hold up and link play. He could be like a a lesser Oli Giroud type. But this season, he's got nine and 19 in all competitions, eight already in the Premier League. So he's on target to score 20 this season in the league or, or get close to it at least. And everything else is still there. The hold-up play is tremendous. The link play is tremendous. He's competing well in the air. He runs the channels. He harries defenders. You can tell he spent time under Jurgen Klopp because he presses well. And Iraola is using him in a multitude of ways off the ball to harry defenders. But then you look at his movement when they have the ball as well. It's a lot more concise. There's no hesitation with him now, whereas there had been in previous years. He knows what runs he needs to make. And he's making those runs before the passes are even played. And it's been really good to watch. Back to front, they're they're a very competent team. And this has been a great turnaround. I mean, through the first nine games, they took three points. Then they beat Burnley at home. Fair enough. Then they got hammered by Manchester City. And since then, they've beaten Newcastle, beaten Sheffield United, drawn with Aston Villa, which, bear in mind what they've done the last two games, gone to Crystal Palace and won, and gone to United and won. that's, That's a really good run. And if you look at what they've got coming up, Luton this weekend, Forest away next time, and then Fulham home. Is it mad to think that we could be sitting here in a few weeks and they might have won five in a row, seven out of eight, or at the very least have an eight-game unbeaten run going? And if you think back to last season and the the miracle job that Gary O'Neill did, Gary O'Neill had one good run when he took over, where they won two and drew four in a six-match unbeaten run. Then he lost four in a row, then won one, then lost four in a row, then drew two of three with a defeat in between, and then started to win here and there. Won a game, lost two. Won a game, lost one. Won a game, lost one. Won two, lost one. Won two, lost four. That's what kept them up. But it was that unbeaten run between the end of August and the middle of October that gave them the chance to be safe. And what Iraola has done so far this season is so much more impressive, in my view, than anything they put together last season. I think he's a really good manager. I think they're a good team. I'm going to back them to win this game. They do have some injury problems. Tyler Adams and Alex Scott obviously both out. Lloyd Kelly's still out. Max Aaron's still out. 
Ryan Fredericks is out, Marcondes is out, Hamid Traore is is out. They're hopefully be back next week, and Darren Randolph is out. But like, I would still back them to have enough to beat Luton. Uh, Luton themselves, no Collie Woodrow, no Dan Potts, no Marvellous Nakamba, no Reese Burke, and a, a doubt over Gabriel Osho, which would be a huge blow for them. I think Luton caused teams trouble at Luton. I don't think they're going to go to. I don't think they're going to go to uh, the Vitality and win. I, I think they're going to get beaten because Bournemouth are playing with confidence now and they're opening teams up. And we've seen with Luton, they do get opened up. They can get dragged around the place. Well, strangely, it seems to be the... Def- I thought they'd come and be really solid at the back. It seems to be the opposite. I think they've now settled the forward line and Barclays kind of settled into the team, maybe not the person next to him. But, I mean, Townsend, Adebayo and Brown, not the scariest front three in, in paper, but it's very unique, unique threat. But you look at the defence, I mean... I know a couple of them scored goals against Arsenal and Menji has big moments where he makes big tackles and stuff, but you look at the goals they concede. I know it's Arsenal and I know it's Man City. They'll make any team look bad defensively. But, I mean, the City game, the goals were so preventable. They could have beat City. They could have at least drew with City. I know they've already drew with Liverpool, but those City goals are conceded were honking. Yeah, they were. And if you look at the goals they conceded against Arsenal, I mean, they're just very easily pulled out of position. And it's, you know, if, if you if you let the game be played in front of that defence, they're fine. If they can sit in nice and compact and just deal with stuff that comes at them head on, they're generally okay. If you get behind them in the wide areas, they are absolutely terrified. And they run around like chickens with their heads cut off. And Bournemouth, this season, in this run that we're seeing, you mentioned it earlier, with the wingers. Like, they're playing primarily through those wide men. How many times have we seen Semenyu in recent weeks pick the ball up and just go with his man mm. and beat his man with a combination of pace and power. Tavernier, you know him from having seen him up at Borough, really jinky kind of, like an old-fashioned winger in a lot of ways, wants to take his man on, wants to get beyond them and get service into the box. And you've got Solanke, who makes really good back post to front post runs across defenders from the blind spots and we've already seen him getting two or three goals this season so far when he makes that late burst across to get to the front post and the centre-back doesn't know he's come round. That's the type of goal that Luton concede. It's the type of goal Bournemouth create. That's why I think Bournemouth will win. I'm going to go 2-0. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably favour Bournemouth as well. Um, you mentioned you think Chelsea would win this. And you're right to think that, Dave. But they are hosting Sheffield United. And these are the teams that have basically... Well, no, sorry, I'll re- reword that. These are the teams Chelsea have struggled against because these teams sit deep, they'll counter-attack, mm-hmm. no space to play with. Uh, and Sheffield United got the big result last weekend. And obviously, new manager bounce, etc. And Chelsea dealing with multiple injuries now. 
Chelsea's injuries. I mean, it's it's probably the only reason Pochettino isn't under more pressure is how many injuries they've had. <clears throat> and the number has gone way back up. It For the first, like, eight, nine weeks of the season, it was sitting around 10, 11. Then it dropped to, like, 6, 7. Now it's back up to 12. No Wes Fafana, no Ben Chilwell. Lavi is still not ready. Gusto's still not ready. And Kunku's still not ready. Noni Mudeki getting there, but still not ready. Chalaba out. Ogachuku out. Chukwemeka out. Reese James out again. Robert Sanchez, a major doubt. And Mark Kukurea, a major doubt. That's a lot of players. And they're having to play some players that simply just aren't good enough to play for a club like Chelsea. Now, Sheffield United themselves, also a ton of injuries. No Basham, no Norrington Davies, no Egan, no Tom Davies. Uh, Daniel Jevison still out with a health issue. You would have to hope that he'll be back soon because he's a very young player, a very talented player, and hopefully... Hopefully it's nothing that's too like. Hopefully it's not. This is not a David Brooks situation where he has like something really horribly wrong mm-hmm. with him. Um, Jack Robinson is suspended. George Baldock should be back. Ollie McBurney is back. Oliver Norwood is back, and Rian Brewster's out. Ah, uh, McBurney back gives them the option of the long ball, and Chelsea struggle against the long ball. Those Chelsea defenders don't really like to have it put up to them in the air. Now, as long as McBurney keeps his elbows to himself, he could cause them some trouble. And with Cameron Archer, who I think is a really, really good footballer, and I still maintain Villa were wrong to sell him. But with the way he plays and with how powerful and quick he is, if McBurney can win some flick-ons, None of the Chelsea defenders are dealing with Archer running in behind. Well, Buddy Shield was very rust last week. He was he awful. looked awful, didn't he? Yeah. He looked like a lad that hadn't kicked a ball in three years. Mm. Um, Sassi's in and out of the team. Thiago Silva, I mean, he can't deal with the aerial. He can't deal with pace. That's how you target these that this team. You target the weakness, which is they're not good in the air. And they're not good when the ball's in behind them. Um, as you said, they're also not good when they have too much of the ball. Like th- like you said, these are the type of teams that do cause them problems. <laughs> when, the best way to play Chelsea is almost to let them have the ball because they just don't have the goal scorers to really hurt you. So you'll have to ride your luck a little bit. But what happens with Chelsea is they start to get frustrated early on and they push and they push and they push and they leave gaps. And like, remember the Spurs game? Spurs had nine men and still could have gone ahead when the game was still 1 1 mm-hmm. because Chelsea were getting frustrated. And it's, that's not the only game this season where we've seen that happen with them. So, and look, we've seen what a big physical presence can do to them when McTominay went, you know, meandering into the box against Chelsea for United. So I do think Sheffield United could cause them problems. I'm still going to pick Chelsea to win. They're at home. They've got to win a game. They have taken the joint least points in the Premier League 
in 2023 of all the teams that have played in the Premier League from January and are still in it now. So not counting the relegated teams and not counting the promoted teams. Chelsea have taken the least points in the league. And I mean, that sounds bad because it is bad. And then you think, well, how bad is it? Well, let me just, let me just give you this. In 2023, Liverpool have spent £214 million and taken 76 points. That is £2.8 million per point. Manchester City has spent £252 million for 86 points, £2.9 million per point. Manchester United have spent £206 million 70 points, that's 3 million a point, give or take. Arsenal, 294 million spent, 77 points, 3.8 million per point. Spurs, 255 million spent, 60 points, that's 4.25 million per point, okay? So 2.8, 2.9, 3, 3.8, and 4.25. Chelsea Football Club. £796 million spent, 39 points, 20.4 million pounds per point. They're spending more point more millions per point than the other five of the big six combined. £796 million for 39 points. That's probably more than what Luton spent for one point. Than the Luton spent in the entire summer. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like that is that's a disgrace. Todd Bowley should sack himself. That's embarrassing. Really, really embarrassing. And like that—that's only money spent. That doesn't include agent fees. It doesn't include wages. Luckily, they won't have had many bonuses to 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 shell out for, but relegation survive bonus maybe maybe yeah that <laughs> might literally be it like, but you know they they spent all this money and they bought a lot of good players but they're it's very ill fitting, like the Caicedo Enzo pairing has not worked yet, it worked against Arsenal because they let Arsenal have a lot of the ball. And they were able to just take it off them and get playing. But you look at Enzo since he joined in the Premier League. And I think Enzo's a phenomenal player. I'd love to have him at Liverpool. Last season in the Premier League, he plays every game from match day 22 onwards. He also plays as part of match day eight, which was rescheduled because of the, the, the Queen dying. Five, 10, 15, 18 games he plays in total. They won three of them. Three wins from 18 in the Premier League last season for Enzo Fernandez. This season, five, 10, 15 games. 
One, two, three, four, five wins. So eight wins from 33 games. He's a hundred million pound midfielder. One of two. And they can't control games in midfield. He should not have left Benfica when he did. No, he shouldn't have. He should have waited at Benfica for the summer. And then he should have assessed his options. But you know how they got him? They offered him the enormous contract. Eight and a half years, 200 grand plus per week. Big bonuses, big incentives, big bag of money to the agent to put pressure on from the other side. And then when he'd been at the club a matter of weeks and things weren't looking good, they pacified him. Here's another year to your contract. A little bit more money, no problem. So he's stuck there now. He still has eight and a half years left in his contract, a year into it. He is 22 years of age. And he has won eight of his last 33 in the league. Now, they're still going strong in the EFL Cup, of course. But I'm sure that's what he left Benfica for was to win the EFL Cup. It's um, such a weird... At post-World Cup, he could have waited for any team. In the, like, Real Madrid obviously went for Bellingham, but yeah, they probably would have went for both. They love having loads of midfielders, yeah. as they do. And he'd be the ideal Tony Cruz successor. Yeah. In the Champions League, he played four games for Chelsea last season. They won one and lost three. So add that to the list. He could have walked to PSG, Liverpool, yeah. City. He'd have had his choice. He'd, He'd have had have, his choice. He could have replaced Gundogan at City. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Lord. And instead he's gone there where he's won 11, 14 games out of, 14 games out of 41 in all competitions. Sorry, 14 games out of 40 in all competitions. But 8 out of 33 in the Premier League where it really matters. One out of four in the Champions League. Nine games out of 37 games that really mattered. That's that's what he's won. You think Kai said, I know, I know Liverpool, the season hadn't started yet, but he even said it himself, or him and his agent said it, is that you pick the stable one of Liverpool, yeah, or you pick Chelsea. Like, if he went to Liverpool, he would have probably been here marked as the best well, maybe not in English media because Declan Rice is the best player ever. But <laughs> you see what I say? Um, he would have been earmarked as the best DM behind Rodri, probably. Yeah, yeah, which is what he would be. And he'd be playing in a cohesive team with quality around him, utilizing his strengths, a team that targeted him for what he does analytically, a team that actually took a deep dive into what he does and how he would fit, not a team that bought him. Because he was a big shiny new thing. You know how much how good a player you have to be for FSG and Jurgen Klopp to spend mm. over a hundred mil. Yeah, prepared to spend over a hundred mil, and you went to Chelsea. Well, let's be really honest about why he went to Chelsea. Okay, he went to Chelsea because his agent told him he was going to Chelsea. So Moises Caicedo is represented by a man called Manuel Sierra, and there's a bunch of other agents that have 
given their views and why he made the move, Manuel Sierra was the guy that pushed this move. Manuel Sierra had been bankrolling Moises Caicedo for a number of years. Spotted him early in, in Ecuador. Got his hooks into him. Started giving him money. Started giving his family money. Paid for his family to get a new house. Paid for them all to come to England. Remember, Moises was earning about three and a half grand a week at Brighton before tax. Mm. So taking home less than two grand a week. You're not taking care of a big family, and Moises has a big family, who are living in London on two grand a week. Not when you've got to pay your own rent and bills and all the rest in Brighton. So who's paying for all of that? Manuel Sierra. Moises was in the hole to Manuel Sierra by a significant amount of money. And Manuel Sierra got offered the enormous bag by Chelsea, likely including some money off the books because, you know, that happens with unscrupulous agents. Moises Caicedo plays for Chelsea because Chelsea convinced Manuel Sierra with money to send his player to them. That's why he's there. Moises Caicedo had little or no say in where he ended up because he was going to Liverpool. When Liverpool called, Moises Caicedo was going to go to Liverpool. And the agent is the one that changed him and told him, no, you've got to go to Chelsea. Does Moises Caicedo look happy to be at Chelsea? Did he look happy when he signed there? No, he looked like a guy that was there because he'd been told to be there. And unfortunately for him, it's had a negative impact on his career. Now, I'd still back him to go on and have a really good career because I think he's an outstanding player. But I don't know if it'll be at Chelsea. I wouldn't be surprised if they take a large bath on him in the next 18 months and move him on. Well, I was going to say, if he came to Liverpool, I reckon he would have been Real Madrid's DM rotation probably with many if they wanted to move many a bit further forward within five years, probably. Yeah. That's his dream, isn't it, to play for Real? For Real Madrid. This, this is the thing with Moises. Like, this is the thing. When he was playing in Ecuador, he talked about Manchester United being his dream move. Manchester United was his dream move. Then he was linked with Liverpool. And he had good things to say about Liverpool. Then he joined Brighton. Then when he was at Brighton, Arsenal was his dream move. He dreamed of this. Then he came out and gave an interview where he said that growing up he was a Real Madrid fan and that was the dream. And then at some point, Chelsea became the dream. And then someone found a picture of him wearing a Chelsea jersey. Now, let me just explain to people that have never been to countries like Ecuador where people are, you know, quite poor. Moises Caicedo is wearing a Chelsea jersey purely because someone had given him a Chelsea jersey. Because Moises Caicedo didn't have the money to buy a football jersey. Someone gave him a jersey. It could have been 
a Chelsea jersey, an Arsenal jersey, a Barcelona jersey, a Real Madrid jersey, a Juventus jersey. didn't matter. They, they gave him a football jersey. He was a football mad kid, so he wore it. You can go to any part of Southeast Asia, to parts of Northern South America, and you will find kids walking around wearing football jerseys, and you ask them about the jersey, and they just say, someone gave it to them. Or they might have gotten it from a charity. They might have been given it by by a club that they play for who'd gotten a bunch of old jerseys as, as a donation. But that doesn't mean that they support that club. In fact, Manchester United pioneered this in the 90s. They would send thousands and thousands of old jerseys. So let's say... United are going to release a new kit at the start of the 98-99 season. But they still have thousands of 97-98 jerseys. So what are they going to do with them? They're not just going to throw them out. They're going to be smart about it. They're going to send them to clubs in Asia or to charities in Asia where they can be distributed to people that need them, that need clothing. And then they're going to turn around and say, Look at all these kids wearing Manchester United jerseys. Now, Asian company of choice, why don't you give us loads of money for a sponsorship deal? Because clearly, we're the most popular club in Asia. And some of those kids will love that jersey because maybe they've never had something new like that before. And therefore, they'll begin to love the club and follow the club. But for most of it, it's just it's just a PR thing. That happens with all the top clubs. They send off these jerseys to different parts of the world where people are in need. And then pictures like this will surface. But Moises Caicedo has said his dream Premier League team was Manchester United, but his dream of all dreams is Real Madrid. He has said that more than one time. He wanted to go to Liverpool or Arsenal or Chelsea because they're big clubs. And it's a moment of great pride for him. But he's not a Chelsea fan. He's not there because he grew up loving Chelsea. Not a fucking hope in the world is that the case. Anyway, uh, Chelsea to win this game, 2-0. Yeah, we'll do a couple quickly. Actually, the next game is quite interesting. One after this one's quite interesting. Um, City against Palace, Dave. Um, City are favourites, but added pressure. This is their game before the Club World Cup, so kind of a must win here because obviously Liverpool playing Arsenal next weekend, and both have well, one of them has one of them has a tough game on Sunday, and one has a big game on Sunday. Let's go with. Um, so they need to end off this uh, thing before the Club World Cup with a, with a win, putting pressure on the. Uh, Let's not, let's not ignore Villa as well, to be fair to him, but I'd probably say the, the other two, mainly. Yeah, for sure. And, like, it's not just that, but, you know, they're only three points ahead of Spurs. Yeah. And Spurs, like we said, play Forest this weekend, and then next weekend they're home to Everton, and you would expect them to win at home to Everton. So City could come back from the Club World Cup behind Spurs if they don't get three points this weekend because with their goal difference 
Spurs would need to win one of their games like 8-0 to overtake them. They're 10 goals better, uh, better off than Spurs right now. They don't want to come back from the Club World Cup in fifth. Even, even with a game in hand, they don't want to come back to that. So they need to win. And they will win. Like, ever, our Palace are, are wrecked with injuries at the moment. Check the Kure done for the season. Raksaki out, holding out. Henderson still out. Eze out. Ayu suspended. Mitchell is out. Sam Johnston is out. Like there's, it's like, you're looking at Remy Matthews playing in goals. Odson Edward is out. And Jefferson Lerma is a major doubt. So no goalkeeper, no midfield, no striker, and one of your two primary playmakers missing. City, no KDB, no Haaland, no Doku, no Grealish. Oh, Grealish could be back. Um, Funnily enough, funnily enough, Erling Haaland not back in training on Thursday like Pep said he would be. I think there might be a little bit more to that injury. There is that. I, I think I said it to you. There's a rumor going around that he's got a fractured foot. Mm. Um, now again, it, it's just a rumor, but it did, it did emanate from someone who in the past has gotten decent information about Manchester City. So it might be true. It might be true. And if it is, Haaland out for a while is problematic for them. Is it though? Do you know what? It's probably not. <laughs> he play better football when he's not on the team. Alvarez up top, it's fine. You know what it is? Here's here's. So I saw this the other day. Um, somebody mentioned that Daniel Agger is younger than Thiago Silva, and I was like, that can't be true, but it is. It's That's not by much. It's not by much. But Daniel Agger has just turned thirty nine. Thiago Silva turned 39 back in September. Um, But here's one for you. Julian Alvarez will turn 24 on the 31st of January. Erling Haaland doesn't turn 24 till July. And it feels like Julian Alvarez, like like it feels like Haaland's been around for years. Mm. And Julian Alvarez is like a new player. Like, you, you think of him and you almost think he's a teenager. Because mm. he was quite late to leave. Not late. He was 22. Hey, well, but, it was late, to be fair. Well, yeah, for a lot of the wonder kids out of South America, he was a bit of a late bloomer. C- considering lads are getting bought for 60-odd mil when they're 15. That's the thing. That's the thing. And Alvarez, like, I think he's a really good player. Um, I, I'm quite jealous that they have him because I quite like him at Liverpool. I think he'd fit. Oh, he'd fit like a glove, wouldn't he? He'd fit like a glove, wouldn't he? Like, um, but like he just he had a a slower start to his career. He was twenty one before he really established himself and made any kind of real noise at River Plate. Um, he's been great for City, obviously, since joining. But it's yeah, he's older than Haaland, which I just didn't think was even going to be close. I thought Haaland was at least a few years older than them. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, City will win this game. I, I'll go 3-0 to City. Reserve goalkeeper, no midfield, no threat up front. 3-0 to City. Yeah, don't think that one will be pretty. I think this next game will be quite fun, Dave. I think you said you expect Fulham to lose this, but they are, like, the best goal-scoring team in the world at the minute. And Newcastle... Uh, 
just dying on their feet. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason I expect Fulham to lose is because I th- I'm expecting a big reaction from Newcastle after what happened in the week. Now, maybe I'm discount discounting the injuries too much because they do have a lot of issues up at Toon. Now, one positive for them is that Kieran Trippier is suspended, so he can't cost them any more goals. <laughs> but, uh, Sandro Tonali's out, Nick Pope is out, Jacob Murphy is out, uh, wandering around talking about sleeping giants. Harvey Barnes is out, Joe Willock is out, Elliot Anderson is out. I don't know what's going on with Sven Botman. I, I don't understand at all how it is that he is still out injured. He played the first five games of this season in the league and the first Champions League game, and he hasn't been seen since. And what Eddie Howe said two weeks ago was that he wasn't training with the team at the, at the time. He was building up his load after injury. And he was reacting well to the work he's doing. But two weeks later, he's still not back in training. So that's, that's a concern. That's not good. Um, Anthony Gordon is a doubt. Mankio and Matt Target are both out as well. So not ideal. Craft Lascelles. I think Livermento will start right back. And I think Dan Byrne is back. So he'll oh, be left okay. back. Oh, that's not too bad, though. It's not too bad. And then you've got Shar and Lascelles, which obviously Lascelles isn't great, but he's doing okay. He's been okay recently. Dubravka in goal, it's it's not bad. Gamerish is playing well again. Longstaff is is obviously very important to them. Jolington's very important to them. So that's, that's a fairly strong midfield. Lewis Miley's been really good as well, so you wouldn't mind hey, if he's in. And then Isak is back. Almiron is there. Wilson's back. I mean, Probably they could play Isaac left. Yeah, they might play Isaac left. They could play Jolington left and maybe play Longstaff and Miley either side of. Um, did I say Longstaff's not? He's, he's back. He, he came he, back midweek, yeah. Yeah, he came back midweek. So you could play Longstaff and Miley either side of Gamerish and push Jolington forward. Um, it's a good team. It's just the fact it's been run into the bloody ground. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Because of all the injuries they've had, a lot of these players have just had to play too much football. But I do just feel like, like they've obviously been walloped in their last two Premier League games. They got hammered by Everton. They got hammered by Spurs. Then they lose in the week to uh, to Milan, having you know been ahead. They were in the quarter, the, the next round of the Champions League, and all of a sudden they're out of Europe altogether because Milan score and then score again, and then obviously PSG scored at the same time. So, um, I, I Fulham, though, like, I mean, it's it's ludicrous. Like, they couldn't score to save their lives through the first 12 games of the season. They were hopeless in front of goal. You go back and you look. They beat Everton 1-0. They got hammered by Brentford. They, they did score two away to Arsenal. They scored one against City, one against Luton, couldn't score against Palace, couldn't score against Chelsea, got three against Sheffield United, and you thought, oh, it was just Sheffield United, they're just they're not very good. This is a team that shipped eight to Newcastle, so Fulham getting three is about normal. Got one against Brighton, didn't score against United, got one against Villa. And then all of a sudden, 
They get three against Wolves. They get three against Liverpool. They get five against Forest. And then they get five against West Ham. Like they score 17 goals in four games. They'd scored nine in 12 before that. No, six, sorry, 16 and four. 10 and 12 before that. Doesn't make any sense. But it has to come to an end. It has to come to an end. Credit to them. Their goal difference had been atrocious. It's now back to zero, which is a great turnaround for them. They're up into 10th. But I do expect Newcastle to win this game. So I'm going to back the tune. I'm going to say 2-1 to Newcastle. I'm saying Fulham are doing another five goals here. <laughs> uh, why imagine, imagine if they went here and got the four or five. <laughs> uh, we aren't getting that in this next game, though. Um, well, maybe Everton. Uh, but Burley hosting Everton, Dave. It's not even a relegation six-pointer, is it? I mean, I mentioned before we started recording, if Burnley lose this, let's get a live look at the table just to get it confirmed. I mean, if they lose this, they'd be eight points behind Everton. Mm. I mean, barring another point deduction, which is a possibility, obviously. Yeah. They'd be hoping, I mean, I think Everton would be safe, bar a points deduction then. Because they're Here's the thing, though. If, if they win this, even if they get another points deduction, They'd only be two points behind Burnley and Sheffield United yeah. and three behind Luton. You'd still back them to stay up. Well, that's the thing. Like, have we got to stop thinking about it? Bar a points deduction, have we got to stop thinking about Everton in this regard? Because yeah. you've got to start looking at Forest and Palace. Everton are top half team. They've yeah. just, Everton would be 10th if not for the points deduction. And they are now at, at, at threat of administration because of the situation with the ownership takeover. Mm. So that would be 10, potentially 12 points. Um, now 12 would be, would be tough because that'll put them back down to one but, still or, do or, or four after they beat Burnley at the weekend. But I reckon they'll still stay up. I reckon they'd still stay up, yeah. I think I think Burnley, Sheffield United and Luton are that bad that I think still think Everton would stay up. Well, here's a question for you. Is Sean Dyche in the manager of the season conversation? Yes, without question. Everton should be 10th now. If it wasn't for the cheating that took place before he came to the club, they'd be 10th. Um, he, I would say I would have third in my manager of the year ranking right now. Emery is one. No, I would actually, I would say I'd actually have him second. Emery is one, then Dyche, and then Marco Silva. I think that's how I'd line it right now. Emery's doing an incredible job. He's the runaway manager of the year. I don't, I don't really care what happens. He wins manager of the year. Yeah, bar him not winning a game the rest of the season. Yeah, like if they collapse and end up in <laughs> like ninth or something, then fair enough. But if they finish third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, he's getting my vote as manager of the year uh, for, for what that vote is worth, which is nothing, but still. Now, nah, you can I, bully Carl into it, fair. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good point, actually. you got to make him vote for you and I am as well. That's fair. Imagine how upset he'd be. <laughs> Imagine how upset he'll be if at the end of the year when the Independent do their uh, awards, uh, if Carl Matchett, ha- if it has to say Carl Matchett, manager of the year, Unai Emery, followed by something nice that he has to say. Fantastic. He might retire. 
he might end up just moving back to Spain and playing golf for the rest of his just life. Full, just full-time Formula E. Yeah, full, that's it. Yeah, no more football. Just full-time Formula E. Um, Daesh has done a remarkable job, though. Like, they've got a goal difference of zero. Defensively, they've only conceded 20 goals. And if we look at the Premier League, Liverpool, Arsenal, and Manchester City are the only clubs who've conceded less goals than Everton this season. Villa have conceded 20. So they're level with them. But they've got the joint fourth best defence in the league. Everyone else has conceded more goals. And in terms of scoring goals, they've scored 20, which isn't great. But it's more than Sheffield United, more than Burnley, more than Luton, more than Forest, more than Palace, and more than Manchester United. And they were underperforming XG to a massive regard till six, seven games into the season, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, missing chances galore. They they looked great in the last two games. Genuinely. Took Newcastle to the cleaners. Battered Chelsea. Should have beaten them more comfortably. It's funny with Everton. Like, you look at their last let's say the last five results and they've they've won four or five they beat palace away great result they beat forest away great result then they hammer newcastle and hammer chelsea two great results but in between that they went they went and lost 3-0 to manchester united at home and united are awful and can't score goals to be fair they massively outplayed united in that game they did that's the thing they should have won the game but you even go back a little bit before that. They got a draw against Brighton, good result. They beat West Ham away, good result. They got beaten 2-0 at Anfield. It is what it is. Um, they they had their excuses, you know, Ashley Young, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. He was rightly sent off. They hammered Bournemouth at home. Bournemouth's worst worst performance of the season. But before that, like they lost to Luton. He lost at home to Luton. Lost at home to Wolves, lost at home to Fulham. Drew with Sheffield United. They did go and thump. Oh, three one is not thumping, but they they gave Brentford a chasing. They've actually been really good this season. The only teams that have really put them to the sword, well, Villa, Villa beat them four 0 and United. But like we said, they outplayed United. Like Everton have actually been a very a very competent, good team this season, and they would be top half without the cheating. So. Sean Dyche is doing an unbelievable job. I nearly want them to get another deduction. Because I just think it'd be funny to see Dyche just not even worry about it. Sean Sean definitely wants a 20-point deduction just to test himself. Yeah, he does. If they could get deducted 12 points, Dyche probably still gets them 15. Yeah. And there'll there'll be three games left in the season. They'll be safe. And someone will ask him about the 22 points that they've had taken off them and point out that they'd probably have been in Europe without it. Well, you have to think of the other teams who've sacked managers in recent times that have missed out not getting Sean Dyche. I mean, yeah. Palace went when Vieira... Palace interviewed him twice yeah. and passed. Twice. Once when he was born with manager and then once afterwards. They interviewed him twice and passed. Forest passed on him. Southampton. Southampton passed on him. Southampton would probably still be a Premier League team. Oh. Leeds could have hired him. 
Absolutely. When they brought in Jesse Marsh. Now imagine going from being managed by Bielsa to Sean Dyche. The players might have just spontaneously combusted. <laughs> but like, he's he's a really good manager. A couple of years ago, when he was at Bournemouth, at Burnley rather, I said I thought at the time he was one of the seven or eight best managers in the league. And I I stand by it. I look at the league now. But Burnley Europa League. <laughs> he got that. He got he got Burnley into Europe. I can't do that on FM. Manager. Incredible. I would like. Klopp is better. Emery is better. Guardiola is better. Unquestionable, those three. Arteta is more is more suited to managing a big club than Sean Dyche. You know, because yeah. he's more ambitious. He plays um, a more big club style of football. I don't necessarily know that he's a better manager than Sean Dyche. Like, Arteta couldn't do what Dyche is doing, just as I don't think Dyche could do what Arteta does. But mm-hmm. if you gave Sean Dyche $600 million to spend, I do think he'd have a team in the top four. He'd just have four Declan Rice's to be fair with. It would literally be the England national team. Yeah. I think Ange is a smidge better than him. England national team and Stephen Defoe. That'd be it. <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> He's a better manager than Ten Hag. I think he's a better manager than Eddie Howe. I think the Zerbi and him are about even. Yeah, that's like this a different sides of the same coin. The, the yin and the yang. They yeah. are literally, yeah, they are polar opposites, but I think they're about even. I think he's a better manager than Moyes. I think he's about even with Marco Silva. I think he's about even with Thomas Frank. I do think Pochettino is a better manager than, but this season Sean Dyche is, is lapping Pochettino. It's hard to say that because Pochettino outside of Tottenham has not done anything. And let's not forget last season at Tottenham when he, well, last part of the season at Tottenham, he spent yeah, the big, he finally backed him and was crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something was rotten at Tottenham. By yeah, the absolutely. When, when they lost the Champions League final, he didn't travel back mm. with the players, which was that. That to me was you know, uh, sirens going off. He's definitely regressed since his Tottenham days. Yeah. Oh, 100% he has. He's a better manager than Gary O'Neill. I, he's a better manager than Iraola right now. He's more experienced, you know, mm-hmm. knows how to grind out results a bit better. He's a much better manager than Roy Hodgson. He's a better manager than Steve Cooper. And he's better than any of the bottom three. Like, there's not a whole lot of managers you'd look at and say he's definitely a better manager than Sean Dyche. I would say there's three who are definitely better than him. And then there's a few that are about his level, but more suited to... Yeah, yeah, more suited to... Like Arteta, I think if you put Arteta at at Luton tomorrow, I think he's a shambles. Mm. But at Arsenal, because he's got a big budget, because he's got a way of playing that suits a big club with ambition and with gravitas... Like, remember, a lot of the reason that the top clubs remain the top clubs is when teams turn up to play against them, they're kind of in awe of who they're playing rather than what they're actually playing, you know? Um, I I do. I think he's a better manager than the likes of Ten Hag. I think he's better than Eddie Howe. I I think he's better than Moyes. Like I said, I would put Silva and Frank on his level. And 
Yeah, Poch probably now, considering he has regressed. I would I would say Ange is a little bit better than him because Ange has done it at smaller clubs as well. Now, admittedly, it was in Australia and, and that, but I, I'd still probably just lean to Ange. But again, it's very much the yin and the yang. Ange is the polar opposite of Sean Dyche. Um, there's only three I'd say are def- definitely better. And that's Klopp, Emery and Pep. And I'm not listing them because that's the order I think that they go in. It's just because that's the order of the league table that I'm looking at. Nah, you definitely have Emery above Pep. It's fine, Dave. I might have Emery above them all. I might have, um, <laughs> Emery might sit just... I mean, Diego Simeone, in my opinion, is the best manager in the world. I think what he's done at Atletico Madrid over the last 12 years is more impressive than what anyone else has done in that time. He is, to me, he's the best manager in the world. After that, I think it's probably Pep, then Klopp. But I might be vaulting Emery over all of them. If he imagine if he won the league with Villa, just imagine if he won the league. They were going to get relegated under Gerrard. He won't win the league with Villa, but he's doing a hell of a job. If he gets top four and wins the Europa Conference League, I am I am never going to let Carl match it here. The end of it, never. This will be the greatest managerial job in the history of managerial jobs by the time I'm finished with Carl Matchett. Anyway, <laughs> we should get back on track. Yeah. Uh, what's your score for Burnley Everton? Oh, Everton to win. Um, it's it's in it's in Burnley, isn't it? Yes, it Shot is. Yeah. Going yeah. back, five thirty kickoff. Cameras will be there. The floodlights will be on. Center sa- stage for Daishi. Daishi will be in a shirt. no jacket no jumper he's just there in a white shirt with his tie freezing but gritting his teeth and getting (laughs) this is why Sean Dyche is above the likes of Eric Ten Hag you're not going to see Mikel Arteta standing out there in a shirt are you no No, it's, it's, it's all about Sean Dyche for me what a guy um yeah, Everton to win 2-1. Yeah, well, maybe next week when we've not got on many tangents, we'll we'll try and talk a bit more about Burnley, Burnley etc. <laughs> they might have been your manager by then. <laughs> yeah. um, but we'll move on to Sunday then, and we'll do some of these quickly. Um, Arsenal, Brighton, Dave. Um, obviously, both teams had midweek excursions. Arsenal's was kind of a pre-season friendly because they were already top. Mm. Uh, whereas Brighton had to confirm top, if, I, if I'm thinking Yeah, they correctly. beat Marseille and, yeah. and, and go top and finish, you know, get through to the, the round of 16. So massive achievement in their first season ever in Europe. Um, you know, and I know Ajax aren't good this season, but it's still Ajax, it's still Marseille, it's still AEK Athens, they're big name clubs. Mm-hmm. And, and Brighton have topped the lot. So Arsenal, no Fabio Vieira, no Tommy Asu, which is a big blow. No Thomas Partey. Martinelli is a doubt. Uh, Jurian Timber still out and Mohamed Elneny uh, back injured again. Brighton are getting players back, which is huge for them. So no Ansu Fati, no Estupinen, no Lamptey, no Enciso, no Welbeck. But Adam Webster's almost back. Solly March obviously still out. But that's a lot better than the like 12 or 13 they were missing two weeks ago. So it is positive at least. Um, Arsenal are at home. I'm just going to go with Arsenal to win. I'll say 
They'll make hard work of it. I'll go 2 1. Yeah, I think there'll be goals in that one, um, at the very least. Uh, Brentford hosting Villadev. Brentford, million injuries, struggling to form at the minute. I think they've just got to get through till either people coming back from injury or I know when does Tony back right at the start of January or is there a set? No, oh, the middle of the month. He is back the on the sixteenth. Right. Okay. January. Um. So they'll probably have to do some sort of business early in the thing mm. just to stay. Like I don't no chance of getting dragged into the relegation, but just to stabilize, not getting dragged in. I think one or two early signings. I think can just help. Um. But yeah, with those injuries in mind, Villa um, did play on Thursday, but I know they were way for them. We always talk about it, but they should win this game. They should. The yeah, they should. Villa have no Buendia, no Mings. Luca Dina suspended. Douglas Louise suspended is a, is a big loss for them. Um, but they could just drop Tielemans back into midfield next to Bubakar Kamara and they'll probably be okay. Uh, no Bertrand Traore, he's out for a while. Brentford, no Rico Henry, no Aaron Hickey, no Brian and Bomo. Now, this is what is really hurting them. Henry's done for the season. Hickey's not back till late January. And Bomo's now not expected back till late January. Tony's mid-January. Shade's mid-January. Ayer they're hoping to have back in a couple of weeks. Collins is a couple of weeks. Jensen they're hoping could be back for this game. And the same with Josh De Silva, but like as it, like they just have a lot of kind of them six to eight week type of injuries. You know, they're not mm. getting the guy who misses a game or two and then he's back. Everybody's out for two and three months at a time. And that's that's where it's hard for Brentford because they don't have the biggest squad. Like you said, they are struggling a bit at the moment. They're they're sitting eleven, so like they're fine, but one win and four defeats in the last five. And that includes a defeat to Sheffield United, which is not good. Their only win was at home to Luton. Before that, their last win was away to Chelsea. Oh, no, so they did beat West Ham after Chelsea. I'm going to back Villa to get the win here. They just think they're, they're riding a wave of momentum at the moment. They'll be absolutely flying after two great results, beating City, beating Arsenal. Last night, they play Zerinsky away. They go with a goalkeeper I'd never heard of before last night. Cash comes into the team. Konza moves the centre-back. Pau Torres plays and gets gets taken off because they don't want to play him the whole game. Moreno starts. He goes off. Douglas Luiz starts because he can't play this weekend. Diaby mm-hmm. comes back into the team. Zaniolo starts. Then Donker starts. Duran starts. Ramsey starts. These guys aren't in the starting eleven at the moment. Like of that that eleven that played last night, only Konza, Torres, and Luis have been starting for them the last few weeks. Yeah. So they've been able to rest players, and that's really positive for them. Um, it was really good to see them being able to give uh, minutes to young Tommy Dillon O'Reilly, very talented young midfielder, one that they're quite high on, and um, and Philippe Marshall, another young goalkeeper. Polish, English, Polish uh, descendancy. I think he was born. Adam on FM, legend. Did you? Yeah. So born in Cambridge to uh, Polish parents. Speaks English, Polish, and Spanish fluently. That's a fair effort for a 20-year-old. 
Six five, so he's like ideal size for keeper. He's been on loan at Gateshead the last couple of seasons. Pretty Fair play. about Darlington. He might like the North East. <laughs> he, he must do. He must do. Um, but you know, it's a great, it's a great moment for him to get a game for Villa in Europe. Um, that was his. He's actually played seven times. I don't know how I've missed this. No, he hasn't. That's not right. That was his first game, wasn't it? I'm not sure. Maybe he had a League Cup. I think he's been there for quite a while, so he might have had the other League Cup or something. No, he hasn't previous. played in the League Cup. Hasn't he? No. no. Yeah. I assume he played in some friendlies or maybe some League Two, some Premier League Two matches or something. Yeah. I'm fairly yeah. certain that was his first team debut. Yeah, it was. It was his first team debut right, last okay. night. So fair play to him. Like, that's really good. And, and like I said, um, Tommy Dillon O'Reilly getting game time as well. So they were able to rest everybody and, you know, the guys that did play, only Konza played the the full 90 of, of those that you might expect to start this weekend. He had a, nice, Villa, he had a nice rest at centre-back. He can go back to right-back running up and down. That's, that's it. You know, just go in, and, go in and just, you know, shout at people for a while. So I, I think I think Villa are in a really good spot right now, playing good football. They, they look like they're really enjoying themselves. And, like, the thing is, they've beaten City, they've beaten Arsenal. Jacob Ramsey didn't start either of those games. Musa Diaby didn't start either of those games. They're both in their best 11. So they can get even better. Yeah. Like, you bring Ramsey in for Tielemans and Diaby in for Bailey, you've now improved the team in two positions. Tielemans and Bailey are very good players, but Ramsey and Diaby are a different level. Like, this is a very good team. Back to front. There's no weakness in the team. You might look at left back and say defensively not great, but offers a lot going forward, whether it's Mourinho, or Moreno or Ordinia. Conza has been rock solid at right back. Carlos has been excellent next to Torres. We know Emmy Martinez is one of the best keepers in the league. It's one of the best midfield pairings in the league. John McGinn is playing out of his mind at the moment. Ollie Watkins has been great this season. Like, there's no weakness in the team. You can get at the left back. But that's about it. But going forward, he will he will cause you problems because both of them are quick. Both of them have good delivery. So, yeah, the Villa should be very, very happy with things, and I think they should be confident. I'm going to go Villa to win 3-1. Yeah, uh, West Ham hosting Wolves. We've already mentioned our displeasure of it being on TV, but, well, we might not watch it. <laughs> but what do you make of this one? West Ham illness in the squad seems to have been an issue this week. Mm. Um, but did get the big win uh, to put them top of their Europa group on Thursday. Yeah, good win, good confidence boosting win, and I expect them to win this game. Like we, the only player we know for certain is out is Mikel Antonio. There are there's an injury doubt over Edson Alvarez, and like you said, there is an illness in the squad, so maybe that will cause a couple to miss out. Um, obviously, people didn't get their winter flu vaccines uh, at a couple of clubs this year because there's been some in- some illnesses. Um, for Wolves, uh, no Johnny Otto, no Joe Hodge. Neto, probably still a week away. They're really hopeful he'll be back for Chelsea. So that's great news. Uh, Rene Nuri, he's back, should be okay to play. And Mario Lamina should be okay to play. So Wolves will they'll be they'll be a tough test, but I'm gonna back West Ham to win one though. Yep. 
I'd agree with that. Uh, Liverpool United, you've obviously done the big deep dive, not even just on the game. You've kind of just went through United struggles as well yeah. over on AI. Um, quick thoughts on this one, because if you do want the deep dive, do go over to AI. Yeah, go listen to the AI scouted that myself and Carol Matchett recorded this morning. Um, it'll be it's probably out already. Uh, I'll edit. I'll have to edit it after this. Oh, of course, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> Of course, you've been doing this yeah. since. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Liverpool are going to win. I, I just do. United have so many players out. They're not very good. They're not well managed. They're not well coached. They're not well prepared. There's no leaders in the team. There's no confidence in the team. They can't defend. They can't go forward. I, I, I'm going to go Liverpool. I, I said Liverpool to win 4-0. I'm going to stick with that. I'm just going to go Liverpool 4-0. And that's the last game. And that's it. That is all we have for this week, folks. We will be back on Monday and we will be here all week next week in the run up to Christmas. Um, and then we'll, we'll figure out what we're doing over Christmas. There'll be a few days when we're not here, but probably only the, probably only the Monday, Tuesday, maybe the Wednesday. We'll see. We'll see, but definitely won't be here Monday, the Monday and Tuesday of Christmas day and, and Stevens's day. Might take the Wednesday, then we'll be back with it with a vengeance to to start rattling through and getting ready for what is to be a very busy January. Um, yeah, right, that'll do us, folks. Thanks a million. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Network.